All right, if you would, open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 4, as you might be able to tell on the other side of the screen, Ezra 4. And I'll begin reading this morning in verse number 23. However, I want to give you a little bit of the backstory uh, to catch you up to this point in the book of Ezra. As we read in chapter 1, Judah has been in captivity now for 70 years. Cyrus, the king of Persia, he makes a proclamation that allows the Jews to come back to their homeland and rebuild the temple. And in chapter 2, you read about the census being taken. It's a lot of names and numbers. And then in chapter 3, you read about the foundation of the temple being laid. And after they lay the foundation, they put an altar, they built a small altar, and they make sacrifice, and the people are rejoicing. And uh, some of the older folks there, the older men, they were weeping, and weeping so loud, and at the same time, other people were crying out with praises so loud, you couldn't tell Right, the weeping and the and the praises just all kind of melted together there, but the, some were weeping because they had seen the original temple, the one that Solomon built, and they could see the how everything had been destroyed seventy years before, and now they're having to start all over. So there were some mixed emotions, but there was a, a great joy among the people that the work of God was going on. And when you get into Ezra chapter 4, what you find is that the enemy, the, Jew, the Jewish enemy, they started to gather around and, and try, their, try their level best to stop the work of God. At first, they approached his friends and thought that they could come in and, and they actually offered their help, said, let us work alongside of you. And when the people of God said, no, no, you guys have no business in, in this work, uh, then immediately the true colors came out and they turned to uh, political means and they started to write letters to this official and that official that finally made it. A letter was written to King Artaxerxes and they said, this city, if it gets built again, they're not gonna pay uh, the king tribute or, or toll or custom. You're gonna lose all the tax money, so don't let it happen. And Artaxerxes writes back and says, make this work stop at once. And that's what we find here in Ezra 4 verse 23. Now when the king or when the I'm sorry, when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai the scribe and their companions, they went up in haste to Jerusalem unto the Jews and made them to cease by force and power. Now sometimes, right? You're busy about the work of God and and things happen. It's outside of your control and it causes the work of God to come to a screeching halt. And that's what happened here. Verse 24, Then ceased the work of the house of God, which is at Jerusalem. So it ceased unto the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. Now, if you go back and do your homework, you find out that it, the, the work of God, it just sat there doing nothing for about a year and a half, maybe two years. Right about there is the time frame that the people of God had quit working on the temple, on the house of God. Now that brings us to, to chapter 5 and verse 1, and here's where the story continues. It says, Then the prophets, Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Ido, or Ido, prophesied unto the Jews that were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel, even unto them. Then rose up Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jozadak, and began to build the house of God, which is at Jerusalem, 
and with them were the prophets of God helping them. Now what I want you to see is that the work of God, it was up and running. They rejoiced. The people were so glad. Some of the older folks sad to see that the, the temple had to be destroyed, but glad that it could be continued, that the work of God was going on. But problems came. A little bit of chaos was introduced. The enemy pushed back, and the work of God ceased. Year and a half, two years. Let me ask you, the, the work that God has been doing in your life, the work that you had been doing for God, how long has it been since you have been making a real and full effort in the work of God? How long has it been since you've allowed God to fully work on you? This work of God that we're reading about here, the work on the temple, it sat still for about two years, and then some preachers showed up. Zechariah and Haggai. Now I want to give you just a, a, a couple of verses from both of these prophets so that you can see precisely what the, the Jews heard back in that day. And I'm going to turn you to Haggai chapter 1, and we'll read just a few verses there. Haggai 1, starting in verse number 2. And if you have your Bible, again, I strongly encourage that you follow along there. Haggai 1 and verse 2 says, Thus speaketh the Lord of hosts, saying, This people say, The time is not come, the time that the Lord's house should be built. That's what the Jewish people were saying. When the government said, Stop, cease, and they made them cease, then the Jews said, Well, it just must not be the will of God. It must not be our time to be working on that. Verse 3 Then came the word of the Lord by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you, O ye, to dwell in your sealed houses? And this house lie waste? Of course, he's pointing to the temple. Verse 5. Now therefore, thus saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Stop and think about what you're doing. You're putting all this effort into your own home while the house of God lays there in ruins. You know that God wants you to rebuild that temple. You know that the work of God must go on, but you're finding other reasons and excuses why you are not busy about that work. Look what Zechariah had to say about it. I'm in Zechariah chapter 4, and we'll begin reading in verse number 8. Zechariah 4 and verse 8. It says, Moreover, the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, The hands of Zerubbabel have laid the foundation of this house. His hands shall also finish it. Now, what a tremendous prophecy. He said, What you've started, it's going to be finished. I find a great parallel in the New Testament, being confident of this very thing, that the work that God has begun in you, he will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. He says, what Zerubbabel has started, he's going to finish it. And it says at the end of verse 9, and thou shalt know that the Lord of hosts hath sent me unto you. You're going to know that I'm one of God's prophets because this is going to be fulfilled. Verse 10, for who hath despised the day of small things? Now, see, that's what some of the Jews were saying. Uh, this, this temple that we attempted to rebuild, look at how puny, how small our efforts are. It's nothing in comparison to the temple that Solomon built. Why should we even bother about it? And that was the wrong approach. See, Haggai and Zechariah, they are, they are diffusing they're, they're dismantling the excuses that these Jews were giving for why they were not busy about the work of God. 
Zechariah goes on to say, For they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. Now, you have to forgive me here just for time's sake. I, I can't show you all the cross references. But when it talks about those seven, it, it's you can see the last part of the verse. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro through the whole earth. That's going to be connected to the Spirit of God, actually. But uh, for the sake of time, let me just say that and, and point out in the middle of the verse, they shall rejoice. The people of God as a whole, corporately, they're going to be so glad when they see Zerubbabel pick his tools back up and say, let's get back to work. Let's finish this work that God has given us to do. And Zerubbabel, he's not going to do it through his own power or might, but he's going to do it in the power of the Spirit of God. As you can see here, Zechariah 4, 6, Then he answered and spake unto me, saying, This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. Now upon hearing this, these leaders of the Jews, they were greatly encouraged as I'm going to bring you back to Ezra chapter 5 and verse 2, Zerubbabel and Jeshua. Now, Zerubbabel, he was the uh, political leader of the Jews at this time. And Zerub or, uh, Jeshua, he was the religious leader. He was one of the high priests at this time. And they rise up. And along with them, the people of God rise up. And they begin to build the house. This brings me to verse number 8. Now, the enemy around the Jews. They were right around in that area. They saw the work getting started again, and they write to the governor. By this time, there were some new people in these various offices, and they said, hey, we just want to let you know that this work, it's, it's going on again. So you can see it in verse 8. Be it known unto the king that we went into the province of Judea to the house of the great God, which is builded with great stones, and timber is laid in the walls, and this work goeth fast on and prospereth in their hands. Everything's coming together. That's the prospering part. Everything's working out. And I want to focus in, as you might be able to tell here, on that phrase there at the end, this work goeth fast on. They were diligently uh, working about God's business there. So if you would, pray along with me. Let's ask God to help us as we focus in on this topic today. Father, please now meet with us speak to our hearts from this passage, and Lord, help us to maybe refocus this morning on how important it is to be involved in the work that you have given us to do and to allow you to continue that good work that you began in us so many weeks, months, or years ago. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Now, you might remember this phrase or be familiar with this phrase, the show must go on. I'm sure you've heard that before, right? The show must go on. Now, I dare not say that that phrase perfectly equates to what I'm preaching on because Christianity is not a show, right? You've heard me say this many times. We're not in this for the entertainment factor, but trying to edify and so forth. But uh, you're going to see, I, I think there's some relevance to it. The show must go on. I, I looked it up this week where that phrase actually got started. And it got started in circuses. These, uh, you know, the Barnum and Bailey type thing when they would bring on the animals to town and they'd be performing for the audience. Sometimes an animal would get out of its cage. And the animals in these circuses, right, were rather large and many times dangerous. 
Sometimes an animal would get out, get loose, and be running around the, the circus grounds. And when that would happen, the, the uh, directors of the circus, they, they had instructed the circus performers, just keep the show going. Don't stop the show to go and corral the animal because if you do, you're going to create a panic amongst the people and the people could start to disperse uh, very chaotically. They could trample one another. So just keep the show going and this way we avoid panic and the crowd doesn't know the difference. In most cases, right? The animal got loose somewhere else. So you just keep the show going. That's why they would say the show must go on. Now that phrase, obviously, as years have, have passed, it's not just a circus phrase, right? People use that in, in uh, Broadway and in the theater and in all sorts of other entertainment type areas. If you make a mistake, if you forget a line, uh, right? If you're singing a special and somebody has to bring you the words, the show, the song, the play, whatever it is, it must go on. You just have to work through the chaos work through the confusion, find a way to get the job done. So even though what we're doing is not, we're not trying to put on a show, right? This is serious work. And the world, the flesh, the devil, right? The enemies, our spiritual enemies, they are going to try to hinder the work that needs to be done. And it is up to us to dig deep and press on and get the work done. The work must go on. I want to show you a few things from this passage. First, let me point out in verse 8, it was the enemy that made this comment, this work goes on. And wouldn't it be wonderful, even in these troublous times in which we live, if if the world were, would watch the church and say, you know what, even amongst all the problems and discouragements and and uh, chaos of the day, they are still busy doing what God called them to do if the enemy would even uh, bear witness and give us that testimony and say, that's what we notice about these people. Regardless of their circumstance, they just don't quit. Let me show you three things about the passage. I'm gonna come down to verse 11. Forgive me, I should have had that up. The work goes on. That's the title of the sermon. But in verse 11, we're going to see this first point. We are just servants. So I'm going to read down to verse 11, if you want to read along with me, starting in verse 9. Then asked we those elders. Now these are the enemies that are writing and telling the story. Then asked we those elders and said unto them thus, Who commanded you to build this house and to make up these walls? We asked their names also to certify thee that we might write the names of the men that were the chief of them. Verse 11, it says, And thus they returned us answer, saying, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. Now, do you see how they answered both questions at once? Who commanded you to do this and what are your names? So they said, We are the servants of the God of heaven and earth. Notice they didn't give their names. They didn't give their names. They said, we're the servants of God. We build the house that was built these many years ago, which a great king of Israel builded and set up. So the first thing I want to talk about, when we're thinking about the work, it must go on. The work goes fast on. If we have the mindset that we are just servants, we are serving a greater purpose, we are serving a great God, 
and we have something to live for, work for, labor for that is greater than ourselves. That is going to help us stay focused on the task and get the work done. Despite what's, what else is going on, the difficulties, the obstacles, because we are motivated, constrained by the love of Christ, we're not in it for ourselves. We're not in it to make a name for ourselves. We are doing this for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're doing this by his commandment and for the glory of God the Father. I, I have noticed this many times. Let me just point it out to you quickly. In Revelation 22, when you get into eternity, last page of the Bible, notice how God's people are referred to. It says in Revelation 22, 3, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it, and his servants shall serve him. All the way out into eternity. This is the position. This is the title that we take. Now, there is one other verse at the, uh, towards the end of this chapter where you read about the church, right? It talks about the church. It refers to us as the bride. But there are four or five places in this chapter where we are referred to as servants. And this is one of them. His servants shall serve him. Look at verse 4. They shall see his face. That's just great to think about. And his name shall be in their foreheads. You see that? His name, not mine, not yours. I'm not in this to make a name for myself. I'm just a servant of the Most High God, the God of heaven and earth. So coming back to Ezra, what are your names? They don't even bother to give them. We're just servants of the God of heaven. This, this makes me think of John the Baptist because he also had a similar question posed to him. The scribes, the Pharisees, they, they gathered around, you know, the religious leaders of the day, and they said, hey, who, who are you? Are you the Messiah? Are you Elijah? Are you that prophet? They, they weren't sure what to do with John. And John's answer, he said, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. He, he didn't even bother to give his name. He said, I'm just a voice. I'm here to speak on the behalf of God. I'm just going to repeat what God has told me to say. That's all I'm here to do. He was a servant. He was a servant. If you go on, you find this in John chapter 1. Just a few verses later, we read the story of how John the Baptist came to know that Jesus was not just his younger cousin, but the Messiah, the Son of God and the Lamb of God. And as John would cross paths with Jesus, now this is post-baptism, right? After he'd baptized uh, Jesus, anytime he'd cross paths with, with Jesus, he would stop and say, Behold, the Lamb of God taketh away the sin of the world. That's what the voice does. That's what a servant does. We're not in it to make a name for ourselves, to gain a, uh, to, to gain a great following, because people would say, hey, John, haven't you heard that this Jesus guy is baptizing and making disciples even more than you have? John wasn't offended at that. That didn't bother him at all. He, want, he wasn't in it for the fame and fortune or the great following. It wasn't about his name. Who are you doing this for? What's your name? I'm, just the, I'm called by God to be a voice. I'm just called to serve. Now, I find this relevant because many times the work of God ceases because people get discouraged by the fact that no one's noticing what they're doing. 
man, I've been in this church and I've been doing this and that. Nobody even knows my name. I don't get any recognition. The pastor doesn't call my name from the pulpit. My name doesn't go into the bulletin. It doesn't show up on a website. We live in such a day and age that if it is not posted on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, if, if you don't find your name online or, or an event, if it's not online, it's as if it doesn't really happen. And friend, I, I sincerely hope that you realize being online and the internet, there's more to reality than just that. To have your name and your deeds recorded in the books of God in heaven, that should be more than enough for you. To say, nobody else may recognize it, but I'm not doing it for me. I'm not doing it so they recognize me. I'm doing this for the God of heaven and earth. I'm doing this for the one that died for me. So as long as they recognize him, that's more than enough for me. If you're in it for yourself, eventually that motivation right, is not going to be enough to get you through all the hardships that come with doing this type of, of work. When you're going to tell people about the Lord, it's got to be done for the Lord. You don't want to do such a thing just to get self-glory. Now, the next thing I want you to see in this passage, uh, number one, we're just servants. Number two, it is worth the effort. It is worth the effort. Now, I'm going to link this to what we see at the end of verse 11. The answer came back, We are the servants of the God of heaven and build the house that was builded these many years ago, which a great king of Israel builded and set up. They're talking, obviously, about the temple. And when you go back and read about Solomon's temple and how much effort, how much money went into that, by modern day standards, we're talking billions and billions of, of rands, even over a billion dollars. This, this was a tremendous work. It was the crown jewel of Israel. It was the apple of their eye. This was the place where you could find God's presence. This was the place for all of God's people to come and gather and worship corporately. All right, individually, they could do that even in their own homes, but corporately, they were to gather at that temple and find the presence of God. This building, it stood for something very important. It represented something great, and therefore, it was worth the effort. You could tell by all the effort and money and time that went into it the first time around. And they said, because of what this place is meant for, it is worth our effort. It is worth our time. Now, moving, if you, you can think about this in the New Testament sense as the church, right? As we corporately gather, you can certainly think about the temple in, in that way. But let me show you a verse or two in the New Testament about the temple. When we speak about the temple of God in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, we read this, What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own. That ties into the first part, doesn't it? We're just servants. Verse 20, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. I want to talk about the work being worth the effort. How worthy is this work, right? How worthy is it? How much worth is there to it? Well, if you want to know how, how worthy it is, what is its worth, look at the price that was paid. Right? It says you're bought with a price. What was the price tag? 
How much did God pay? My friends, he gave his only begotten son. That is the highest price tag there could be. So there is no greater work than could be done. You are the temple of the Lord. The Holy Spirit dwells within you. The presence of God can be found in you. So when I talk about the work of God, let's be very clear here. You can understand this two ways, and and these two things go together. We're talking about the work of God that's going on in you. That is the Holy Spirit working in you, conforming you to the image of Jesus Christ. That is the work of God. And at the same time, we can be talking about it from a different angle, you being involved in the work of God. So you understand the difference. The work of God in you and you in the work of God. Now, the work of God in you, you're being conformed to the image of Christ. You in the work of God, what's this? God using you as a vessel, carrying the message, carrying the truth of God's word to someone else so that the Holy Spirit can work on them and also make conform them to the image of Christ. What's the purpose? So that each one of us individually can worship God in spirit and in truth. So we can admire him and enjoy him. And likewise, he can enjoy our fellowship. And when you get enough people doing this at the same time, you create this same, the idea of true worshiping goes on corporately as a body. We get to worship God as well. The work of God, I tell you, it's worth it. It's worth being involved in this because there is no higher calling. There is no greater calling than you can fulfill. Uh, let me show you another verse in Corinthians. This time in chapter 3. It's going to say much the same thing, but I want to give you a little context this time. Paul says, Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Now, that's very similar to what we saw in chapter 6. Let me move up a little bit in the passage, and you'll be familiar with this. I'm going to start at verse 10. Paul says, According to the grace of God, which is given unto me as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation. Now, do you see how I'm tying this to Ezra? In the book of Ezra, they had laid the foundation, right? And then the work ceased. They said, oh, no, now the enemy's come in. Now things have gotten difficult. Ah, we're done. That just must not be our time to do this. Paul says, I've laid the foundation, another buildeth thereon. See, the work goes on. Then Paul says at the end of verse 10, but let let every man take heed how he buildeth thereupon. So, So this work is an important one, so be careful how you do it. Verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So it starts with uh, a person receiving Christ as their Savior. Verse 12, Now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble. So you want to use good products, not bad products. Verse 13, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. Did you use good products? Did you build your spiritual life out of the proper stuff or out of something flimsy, something built out of convenience and comfort, right? So that's the gold, silver, precious stone. That's the good stuff. The fire can't burn that up. The wood, hay, and stubble, that's the works of the flesh. That's, that's the stuff of comfort and convenience. That stuff's going to burn up. He says in verse 14, if any man's work 
abide which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. The fire burns up that bad work so you don't have to carry it with you all through eternity. But I want you to notice throughout the passage, verse 13, 14, 15, do you see how it says every man's work? Verse 14, if any man's work. Verse 15, if any man's work. Brother, sister, the work goes on. The work goes on. Now, I don't know how long you've hit the pause button on this work that God started in your life. Maybe at one point you were busy in the service of God and, and trying to get the gospel out, right? Fulfilling the Great Commission, evangelizing, making disciples. You were involved to whatever extent, right? We can all chip in in different ways and be involved in the work, but maybe you've hit the pause button on that. Brother, sister, it's time to hit that button again and get busy again, and the work needs to go on. Let me show you another verse about the work of Christ here in Philippians chapter 2, in verse number 30. Paul says, speaking of Epaphroditus, he says, but because, I'm sorry, because for the work of Christ, he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life, to supply your lack of service toward me. Now he's talking about, you know, respect this guy, because he really, he dug deep. He really put in, he went above and beyond to get the work of Christ done. Epaphroditus could have said, listen, I'm sick and I just don't have the energy, I can't do it. But no one else was doing it. And Epaphroditus said, if no one else is going to do it, well, under other circumstances, he might have taken care of his health. And there's nothing wrong, by the way. Listen, you get sidelined by a health issue or financial issues or a marriage issue or whatever it is. If you take a knock, Listen, there's nothing wrong with, with standing still for a moment, catching your breath and kind of getting stabilized and then, then going on. Sometimes, though, extraordinary circumstances, it, it calls for extraordinary deeds. Epaphroditus said, no one else is doing it. I've got to go the extra mile. I heard a story once of, of two boats colliding. Uh, this was in the waters in, in northern America, just off the coast of Michigan and Wisconsin. Two boats collided in the middle of, well, the morning, I guess you'd say, 2 a.m., so middle of the night type of thing, and freezing cold water. And people were, one boat, right, the boat that got hit, it, it kind of got T-boned. One boat, it hit and it just went off and it was all right. The other boat began to sink. The boat that was sinking was a passenger ship. And people left and right were drowning in this icy water. Well, word got out that people were in the boat, that, you know, the ship, and it was sinking. There were two Bible colleges not too far from the shore. And the people, the men that were in these Bible colleges, now this is back in the 1800s, so there weren't, you know, uh, vehicles that they could take and get down there and, and save people and that type of thing. People, these young men jumped into the water and did as much as they could, started pulling people to shore, left, right, and center as much as they could. By the end of the day, though, 287 people lost their lives. But many were saved by the valiant efforts of these young men. There's one young man, his name was Edward Spencer, and he jumped into the icy water, swam as hard and as fast as he could. He grabbed one person, bring him to shore, go back into the water, bring another. He saved 15 people. And by the time 15 people had, he had brought him to shore, he was spent, he was done. He said, that's it, I can't go another, I can't go any further. 
he heard a man crying out, saying, please, somebody help. And the storm, right, that had caused all the problems, the storm was still blowing, the wind was raging, waves were hitting the people that had made it to shore. Some of those waves, three meters tall, crashing onto the people on the shore. This man heard the cries of another man out in the water. So Edward Spencer, he heard this man crying. And this man was trying to pull his wife to shore, but couldn't do it in his own strength. So Spencer, he pulled himself up. He said, I'll I'll go and help one more. And he did. He swam with all his might. He helped this man. He got this man and his wife safely to shore. And by the time Spencer laid down on the shore, he was, and I mean this, spent. It cost him his health the rest of his life. He, He lived as an invalid. He couldn't continue on. The last thing that he said, he was a bit kind of in and out with his consciousness, but he kept repeating the line, did I do my best? Did I do my best? Did I do my best? Now, as I say, I, I, we don't expect to anybody, right? I don't, I don't think it's a biblical thing to say you have to put yourself in harm's way. You, you have to uh, hurt yourself in order to be properly serving the Lord. I don't believe that. Paul said in Ephesians 5, no man has ever hated his flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it. You're supposed to take care of yourself. But this was an extraordinary case, and the people's lives were worth it. The work, the effort, it was worth it. And he jumped in, and he did his best. Now, here's what I'm asking you. I'm not asking you to put yourself in harm's way. I'm not asking you to hurt yourself. I'm asking you, have you done your best? The work is worth the effort. Have you done your best? Or have you been using the circumstances of our current day to say, well, let's put the work of God on pause. Let's put it second or third. Let me concentrate on other things. Guys, I'm, I'm not saying that we don't pause, take a moment, and gather ourselves. That's fine. But the work must go on. The work goes on. The work goes on. Let me show you one more thing from from Ezra chapter 5. And this time beginning in verse 12. And I want to talk just for a moment. The work goes on while the door is open. The work goes on while the door is open. It says uh, here in Ezra 5, 12, But after that our fathers had provoked the God of heaven unto wrath, he gave them into the hand of Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, the Chaldean, who destroyed this house and carried the people away into Babylon. But in the first year of Cyrus, the king of Babylon, the same king Cyrus made a decree to build this house of God. Now, see, when somebody wrote the letter to Artaxerxes and said, this city is a bad city, and if they get built, uh, they're not going to pay taxes, they didn't tell Artaxerxes the whole story. This is the rest of the story. So now these elders of the Jews are saying, let, let, let me tell you why we're doing it. We're doing it for the God of heaven. But also we have permission to do this from King Cyrus. He said we could. And so in verse number 14, it says, The vessels also of gold and of silver of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that was in Jerusalem, and brought them into the temple of Babylon. Those did King Cyrus, or Cyrus the king, take out of the temple of Babylon. And they were delivered unto one whose name was Sheshbazar, whom he had made governor. 
and said unto him, Take these vessels, go, carry them into the temple that is in Jerusalem, and let the house of God be builded in his place. So they're telling the story clear, giving all the little details as to why they were doing something that was legal, actually. In verse 16, Then came the same Sheshbazar and laid the foundation of the house of God, which is in Jerusalem. And since that time, even until now, hath it been in building, and yet it is not finished. Now, therefore, if it seem good to the king, let there be search made in the king's treasure house, which is there at Babylon, whether it be so, that a decree was made of Cyrus the king to build this house of God at Jerusalem, and let the king send his pleasure to us concerning this matter. So that was the response of the Jews. Who told you you could build this house? Well, what are your names? We're just servants. We're doing it for God. And to be honest, God's the one who authorized this work. But politically speaking, secularly speaking, Cyrus gave us permission. We're allowed to do this. Check the records. This is perfectly legal. We're not doing anything wrong. The door was still open. Here's what I want to say about the work of God in you and you being involved in the work of God. It needs to go fast on while the door is open. Let's recognize that even today, even in this circumstance, when they say you're not allowed to meet in person, we're still allowed to meet online. We're still allowed. You can, as you go about town, tell people about Christ and not be arrested for it, not be persecuted for it. We might have to get creative. We might have to find other ways, safe ways, right, to be involved in the work of God, but the work can still go on. We still have permission. And while we do, while the door is open, we need to get the work done. Let me show you something about this. I, I had never noticed this before. Uh, but in Ezra chapter 4, I want to show you something about this, this work. When the enemy of the Jews wrote to Artaxerxes, here's what they said. This is chapter 4, verse 12. Be it known unto the king that the Jews which came up from thee to us are come unto Jerusalem, building the rebellious and the bad city and have set up the walls thereof and joined the foundations. Now notice they said the city is being built and the walls are going up. Did you know that's not true? That is not true. That's not what they were doing. The walls had not been set up. That happens much later in the book of Nehemiah. Ne Nehemiah, when he got there, the, there were no walls up. If you might remember in Nehemiah chapter 3 and 4, that's what he did, did is rebuilt the walls. So the city, had, it was not being rebuilt at this time. That was just a, a lie. Uh, you can see it again in verse 21. It says, Give ye now commandment to cause these men to cease, this is Artaxerxes writing back, and that this city be not builded until another commandment shall be given from me. Now notice what the command was, don't build the city. They said nothing about the house of God. Nothing. The command was don't build the city. They had permission to keep building the house. I've never noticed that before. Folks, they might tell us you're not allowed to meet in person. And listen, I understand we're not dealing with the exact same scenario that these folks were. I get it. As it comes to COVID, I, I believe, I know it is a real disease and it is a, it is a nasty one. It can really knock you down. It, it's dangerous. I get that. 
Now, the way that the world's reacting, the way that South Africa and the government's reacting, that's a different story. But let, let's deal with the restrictions they have given us. They have said you cannot meet in person. Whether or not that's the right idea or not, is, that's not what we're discussing at the moment. They have not said you can't preach the gospel. They have not said you can't disciple people. You can't invite them to... <laughs> you talk about inviting people to come to church. Now it's even easier. You just invite them to watch the, the live stream whenever they have time. You can still, we can still be busy in the work of God and we can still also pay attention to the work that God is doing in us. That work must go on. We can't let the distractions of this day stop us. The door is open. And while it's open, we need to be busy about the Father's business. Let me show you something that Jesus said about a door being opened. Revelation 3 verse 8, He said, I know thy works. Behold, I have set before thee an open door, and no man can shut it. For thou hast a little strength, and hast kept my word, and hast not denied my name. Let me ask you this, folks. You say, man, I'm weak. 2020 was a rough year. 2021 hasn't started off much better. And man, I'm, I'm just tired. And I get it. And you may not be going as fast. You may not be able to do as much as you could at one other time. But whatever strength you do have left, use the door while it's open. Go through that door and do what you can. Jesus said, I've kept the door open for you. No man's going to shut it. So while you have time, do something about it. In 1 Corinthians 16 and verse number 9, Paul said this about a, a door. <clears throat> he said, For a great door and effectual is open unto me, and there are many adversaries. Listen, you go through this door, you take advantage of the opportunities and the freedoms that we still have. And listen, Paul said, As we have therefore opportunity, let us do good unto all men, especially to them of the household of faith. Use the opportunities you get. But let's recognize that there are going to be some adversaries along the way. The devil's not going to take this lane down. People will try to stop the work of God from continuing. But the work goes on. We, we, we have to use wisdom, be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. We still have to be smart about how we do it. But the work goes on. You know, when you read in the life of Paul, I, I think that would be a wonderful tagline to his life. The work goes on. Right after he gets saved, the people of Damascus, the Jews in that town, they gather around, they're going to try to kill him. They had to lower him down over a wall in a basket so that Paul could escape. You know what happened after he escaped? The work went on. He gets to Jerusalem and he tries to fellowship with the brethren there. He starts witnessing for Christ in that city and the brethren wouldn't even take him in. Barnabas tried to stand up for him, but the, he, they are just too scared of, of Saul at that time. He wasn't yet called Paul. So the brethren said, you need to go. They sent him off to Tarsus. You know what happened? He was there for 14 years, but listen, the work went on. After 14 years, Paul gets involved in mission work. They send him off to the region of Galatia. He visits city after city, leads hundreds to Christ. Churches get started, and the people there, they get, I want to say, deceived by some, by some Jews that come in and say, this, this is an evil guy. They stone him to death. They leave him for dead. 
Now, God raised him up, but listen, after he got up bloody and bruised from being stoned, you know what, you know what happened? The work went on. A couple chapters later, you find him in Philippi, this time falsely arrested, beaten, left there in the prison. Of course, he prayed and sang, and the prison doors opened up, and he had great deliverance. But after being whipped and falsely imprisoned, you know what he did? Got back up, said the work goes on. The work goes on. He gets down to Jerusalem. All he's doing is trying to see his kinsmen according to the flesh. He, he loves those Jewish people. They think he's the enemy. They start making false accusations. He ends up arrested, beaten. They almost kill him. Paul is now imprisoned. And from that prison cell, Paul could have said, listen, I did what I could. I've run a good race. I did quite a bit. I did more than most. But even from that prison cell, the work went on. Yes, Paul was hindered. He couldn't do as much as he could have done if he was a free man. But he did what he could with, with the little strength that he had. And the work went on. We read in another place where Paul says he was whipped 195 times. He had stones thrown at him till he died shipwrecked three times. He spent a night and a day in the deep. His health was bad. He was in perils of waters, of robbers, of his own countrymen, Jews, of the heathen, of false brethren. Paul had so many reasons and excuses he could have used to quit. This is what Paul said, but none of these things move me. Neither count I my life dear unto myself, so that I might finish my course with joy and the ministry which I have received of the Lord Jesus to testify the gospel of the grace of God. You know what Paul basically says there? The work goes on. The work goes on. You know, 2021, we might have to be creative. We might have to do things differently than, than we'd like to, differently than we have in the past. But whatever the circumstances are, the work goes on. Even in your own heart and in your own life, Say, my financial situation, man, it is a disaster. My marriage is struggling. I'm struggling with my kids. I, my studies have taken quite a knock. I, I, can't, I can't tell what's going to happen. All these big things are changing. Don't get distracted. Remember that the work goes on. We're just servants. The work is worth the effort. And while the door is open, while the door is open, let the work go fast on so that one day you get to the end and just like the Apostle Paul, you can say, I have fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Brethren, dig deep and let the work go on. Amen. Father, thank you this morning for allowing us to open up the Bible and be encouraged by what it has to say. Help us to recognize that even though things are a bit difficult right now and not normal. This is not what we would like to do as far as a church goes. And the ministry has kind of been reshaped. We still have an open door. And you are still busy working in our hearts. You have not left us. You have not forsaken us. And the Great Commission is still there. Lord. It still must be done. Help us, Lord, to use the strength, the little strength we have, to use the opportunities we get so that the great house can be built. Lord, whether we're talking about individuals being built to the image of Christ, or whether we're talking about the body of Christ as a whole, 
We want that work of God to shine. We want the glory of God to shine. We want you to get all the recognition and all the glory from it. Father, thank you for this opportunity to preach this morning. And please meet with us again tonight as we open the Bible and try to learn more from you and from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Folks, thank you so much for tuning in. And Lord willing, uh, you'll see me again tonight, 6 p.m. for our evening service.